Good morning, everybody. Man, lots of people on vacation, doing some fun things, seeing family. That's really cool. So, but we are here. We are. All the really smart ones, right? We're all the... That's right. Okay. So, let me hit this. So, we are starting this new series titled Controversies, um, and we're wading into some pretty deep waters. And as you guys know, we're living in a world right now that is really so topsy-turvy and mixed up and confused we're in the process of experimentation in a lot of areas. And so we are going to wade into some really deep waters. Um, as I mentioned in our Unashamed series, that we live in this polarized culture now where it seems like each side, and that's part of the problem is there seems like there's only two sides to arguments at times. And that's concerning because there's much more to most arguments. Like it is not just either or. It's like so often things are framed. It's either this or it's this. And my hope is that during this series, we learn that truth oftentimes, to get to that, takes much more time and thought and discussion and prayer than that kind of rhetoric, where we have only two opinions, and each side is kind of yelling at each other while the other side yells back, you know, with their fingers in their ears. And that's what we see so often. And so, a lot of times one side communicates as if they are virtuous and the other is evil and vice versa, and they point at each other. And so, nuance and critical thinking is needed desperately when we talk about really controversial topics. And that's in the church and outside the church. So I have been reading and researching various um, like topics, like some of the things that we're going to be discussing here in the next five or six weeks. And let me tell you, there is like zero consensus outside the church when it comes to a lot of these issues. And we're talking about sexual expression, um, abortion, the authority of the Bible, immigration, gender, like a lot of these things that are constantly in the media and on the airwaves. And as I've been researching, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, like there is infighting and hatred and rhetoric being spewed at each other, um, even ones that are on the same side, so to speak, of the discussion. So the amount of viewpoints and stances and opinions is staggering, staggering. Very little agreement amongst subcultures that attack each other, vilify each other, 
and at one time may have been actually close and kind of aligned. And that walks into areas of whether it's race or sexual expression, spirituality, gender roles, I mean, you name it. So we are truly in a time without any ultimate authority. Like we are doing and trying to do, but I could say definitively that we are doing what is right in our own eyes. In Judges, in the Old Testament, there was a time of great confusion amongst God's people. And it says in Judges 17, 6, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I would say, culturally, that's where we are at today. There is no king. There is no authority. There is no right or wrong. Even having that discussion at times is offensive. And we are witnessing some of the carnage of that. Not only people individually, the carnage, but then the carnage as people try to fight through these things together and hurt one another in that process. It is painful to watch. So, this is where this entire discussion must begin. I don't think that we can have a useful conversation about controversial topics unless we've first spent some time thinking through a really important subject, kind of the undergirding of all of this, and that is authority. Authority. How we engage and answer the question of authority is the question that all of the rest of our topics will need to be framed in. Because how we answer that question will determine how we think, how we act, and what motivates us internally. So, let's talk about that term, authority, okay? For many of us, it's not a word that we take kindly to. Because for many of us, we've had some really bad experiences with those in authority over us. We've been run over, dismissed, talked down to, lied to, hurt by. We've been abused by an authority in our life that we realized did not care about us. So, we don't have a lot of I think, naturally warm, fuzzy feelings towards authority. In fact, for many of us, you know, there was this bumper sticker that was really popular in the 90s that said, question authority. And there are a lot of, I would say, healthy reasons for that movement to start. But I do think that at times our first response is to resist authority or rebel against it, or just most commonly, just mistrust that. And I think that is kind of the bedrock of our relationship with authority. 
If trust isn't present, then everything breaks down. Okay. Um, I would say that for most of us, we are not, like we don't have these unreasonable expectations where we expect authorities in our lives to be perfect. Um, but what we do want is for authority to be humble and to admit when they make mistakes and when we see that they really care about our best interests. Those are the authority figures that we can, in a sense, trust and begin to follow. Certainly, we look for character qualities in authority, someone who is competent, but character is so important because that gives us confidence in them, reminds us that we can learn from them, and builds trust. So after um, I had become a Christian, it was maybe 10 years or so after I met a guy, um, and he was older than me, um, much wiser in, in a lot of areas, um, had been following Christ for a longer time, and at one point he said, we were kind of having this mentor mentee type relationship. And he said something to me that really struck me. He said, hey, listen, if, if I'm going to be a mentor or a discipler to you, I, I just want to have, like, we need to come to an agreement here. I was like, okay, what's that? And he said, obviously, I mean, I am going to share things to challenge you and inspire you and things that you that I see in your life that you need to grow in, but I need you to make the same commitment to me. If you see anything in my life that you feel I need to grow in or that I'm off in, whatever it is, I need you to make that commitment that you are going to love me well enough to bring that up with me. And I remember thinking, wow, like, okay. So, an authority like that, if you have that conversation, naturally, would you guys tend to trust someone like that? I think we do. There is humility there. There was wisdom there. And that was consistently ringing, like, he said, Jim, this is a two-way thing. Yes, I'm going to disciple you, but you're going to disciple me. And I was like, wow, this is really, like, I felt valued. I don't know if there was anything I really shared with him, but I certainly was invited to do so, and that was really cool. So here's, I think, part of the rub with authority is Deep down, um, there's part of our human nature that just doesn't like it, period. Like, we might not be willing to admit it openly, but deep down, we know it's true. Like, we don't like anybody telling us what to do, what to think, how to behave, 
what to say. Exactly. We're kind of babies at times. We are not fans of somebody telling us what to do, period. Now, we've come about it honestly. We, according to Scripture, inherited that from our physical and spiritual descendants, okay? Um, we grew up with it, grew up with it. So those of us that are parents know that we spend a large chunk of our parenting work trying to teach our children to obey authority, okay? We do not have to teach them at all how to do what is right in their own eyes. They're great at that, okay? Calling the shots for our own lives comes totally naturally for us. We've cultivated that gift all of our lives since we were this, this tall. So if we go back to the garden and Scripture, we see clearly that Adam and Eve, that there was this choice that they were given to either obey God or do their own thing, do what was right in their own eyes. And we all know the decision that they made. So Scripture says that we've inherited their innate desire to be the authority for our own lives. And this is going to be one of the main questions that we're going to discuss throughout this series. How do we respond to scriptural authority? Do we honor scripture above our own ideas? Or do we recoil when we read sections of scripture? Or do we rejoice when we read sections of Scripture. Scripture. Do we recoil or do we say, okay, God, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. Explain this to me. I don't understand what you're after here. How do we respond when God asks us to behave or react or think in a way that, quite frankly, feels totally unnatural. That requires something from us that's really difficult and challenging. Could it be? Could it be that the gospel is actually this vehicle for us to help us, to enable us to live above the natural, and to live supernaturally? Could it be that God has that as a desire, that that is a possibility for us to live above just our natural inclinations? As we talked about the Jesus followers last week, um, they were known as people who were not living typically. Their lives did not line up with the cultural norms. They didn't adopt the popular thinking of the time, and they were living lives that were counter to the culture. Almost as if they had an outside authority that they were following. That somebody else that had unified them, they were following. 
And there was this unity as if there was like a conductor and they're in an orchestra. And they were playing different instruments and they had different parts. But yet there was unity as they worked together and they followed this authority. Somehow, even in the midst of a culture that didn't adopt any of their views, those Jesus followers were able to live lives of integrity and faithfulness within that culture. It's really remarkable. So, when we think about this question for ourselves, how do we respond to scriptural authority? If we're honest, we struggle with it. For me, my knee-jerk reaction at times to life, circumstances, people, is often like self-serving, angry, defensive, and then I push back against it. And then after I've done the very natural thing, the Holy Spirit communicates something much different to me, and then it's like decision-making time. So, for example, a few weeks ago, I was at a high school football game, okay? And it's just a, this spring game. It's no big deal. Like, there's, I don't know, there's maybe 150 people there. And it's, um, and it's just a high school game, all right? And me and three of my sons, like, we wanted to get really close to the field, we're kind of checking out the players, wanting to see how fast they were, how hard they hit. Can't always feel that as much up in the stands. You got to get right on the sideline. Okay, those of you that have been there know what I'm talking about. And so um, we're on the field for like half the game, and then we go over to the other side of the field. And once we're on the other side, all of a sudden I see a couple like school employees walking towards us. You know, and I was like, uh oh. Um, and again, it's just a high school game. Like, who cares if we're standing down there, really? Like, this is not the NFL. It's no big deal. And this guy comes up to me, and he's probably 22, 23, a young kid. And he's like, hey, let's move along. Let's move along here. Um, you guys out. You know, we can't be here. And it was a, it was a little bit, like, condescending, like, shoo you know, get out of here. And so I'm just like, <laughs> you know, um, and I'm walking, I'm walking away with the kids and uh, they don't care. They don't, they could give a crap, the boys, you know, and uh, I'm just like, you know, and I'm stewing. So I walk over to the other side of the field and I just kind of sit there and total, like that slide of the baby, total baby. Okay. I'm just like, and grown adult here. And so, uh, anyway, we walk back over the other side of the field, and I see him walking by me. And I'm just like, hmm, there he is. <laughs> so he looks at me, and I was like, hey, I got off your field for you, man. You know? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm proud of this, okay? <laughs> it gets worse. And so... I was like, I got off your field for you, you know. And he's like, oh, that's great. You want a lollipop and a diaper too? And I was like, all right. Now, you know, I was just like, 
uh, how do I, you know. So meanwhile, the boys are sitting next to me, and they heard me say that to him, and they're looking at me like, what is your problem, Dad? Like, shut up. I think one of them said that to me, you know. And I'm looking at them like, what? It's no big, you know. Stop looking at me. So, and I'm sitting there, and I'm stewing, and I'm mad, and then that thought was just, it was really about, don't tell me what to do. It's really what it was. Don't tell me what to do. And I had inherited this problem with authority, and then the Spirit says very clearly, go over, walk over to that kid and apologize to him. And so I knew, I saw where he was sitting, he was actually had something to eat, and he had some chicken wings or whatever, so I walk over, and as I approach him, I can tell he's just like thinking, uh-oh, here it goes, like this is going to get really bad. And so I walk up, and I'm just like, hey, man, I just need to tell you, like, what I said there, like, that was totally, um, that was totally inappropriate. Like, I never should have said that, and I should have just kept my mouth shut, and you were just doing your job, and we should, and I was just being an idiot. And in fact, my kids are, like, ticked at me, you know, and he's like, no, man, we're good, we're straight, we're fine, you know, and I was like, I Regardless, I just wanted to say I'm sorry, and I should not have responded like that. It was really stupid, you know. So, um, you know, it's been interesting. My kids now are going to that school, and I see them all the time. So I'm always like, hey, man, what's up? You know, and I can tell we're going to probably have some other conversations. But it was... And it's going to be more of me just saying, hey, man, I still cannot believe I acted like that, man. I'm sorry. So, um, but really, it was that, you know, you're not going to be my authority. And that was it. That irked me. For me, I, I have these times where I feel like I'm being asked, like, will I go back to the garden and do what I want to do, or will I follow Jesus' example in the second garden of Gethsemane and say, not my will, but your will be done. So here, I think, is the most important question, potentially, of this entire series, and one of the most important questions that we will ever wrestle with in our lives. Because deeply embedded in this decision about following God's spirit and authority is a much deeper question that we have, and it's this. Is God good? Does he really have the best in mind for me? Does he really care about my needs and my feelings? Can I really trust him and what he says? Or is he lying? Is he holding out on me? And yeah, we have issues with authority that we've inherited from our spiritual parents and that we've experienced in our lives and we are hurt. 
we might ask, is he the kind of God that denies us of something we really want and feel that we need? Is he the type of God that just arbitrarily determines, well, one behavior is acceptable and another one is unacceptable? What kind of God is that? Some of us would say, if that's who God is, I want nothing to do with him. He's a jerk. Does he deny us what we know or think is fulfilling for us? So these are the big questions as we head into this series. Is he trustworthy and is his word trustworthy? This is just part of who we are. As I was writing this out, I was in Boston in a coffee shop this week, and it was a total throwback. Like, it was um, like I had gone back 20 years, and there's a dude sitting there with a black flag shirt. Does anybody know black flag? All right, yeah, we got a few. Black flag. So... Black Flag, the Pixies, Circle Jerks, bands like that, okay, um, and this angst, and it was, so this dude walks in, and he's got a shirt on, it says, I hate God, and it was, um, it was part, it was a, like a concert shirt, and the name of the tour was Kill Your Boss. All right, yes. Typical angsty, white, privileged Massachusetts kid, Right? Um, but again, it was this, like, as I'm writing this, I was like, there's this underlying disdain for authority in anybody telling us what to do. And I think about the enemy's lie and deception was really this twisted thought of God really said that? Certainly he didn't mean that. And besides, God is just in this for himself. He doesn't want you to become like him. He wants to deny you of what's rightfully yours. That was part of the deception in the garden. So the bigger question in this series is, God's nature and our struggle with that, and then this innate desire, and let's just call it what it is, we want to be God. We want to be God. We want to write our own scripture. We want to affirm our own beliefs and practices. We want to be the authority, and nobody, even God, is going to tell me what to believe. Or I will recreate a new God who surprisingly will be just like me. So about a month ago or so, I had mentioned there was about a three-year period where I was just struggling with, gosh, my faith and studying all kinds of um, authors 
lot of atheistic, agnostic thought. There was also books that I was reading on the historical Jesus, what, who Jesus really was and what he was like. And it was interesting that there was, as I read some of these books, there was a political activist Jesus, there was the feminine Jesus, the gay Jesus, the he's just a good teacher Jesus, the environmental Jesus, and it became apparent that we and those authors were making God in their image. And that if we don't like what we see in Scripture, we go to great mental and interpretive lengths to say, this is what He is like in Scripture. And so I saw this obvious pattern that was emerging, that each one of the authors came to the conclusion that Jesus was very similar to them and what they thought. And I remember thinking, can these all be correct at the same time? Some of them are contradictory. Why do they all land on a Jesus who thinks, affirms, and believes just what they do? It's real simple, because they made him with their own hands. So it's really idolatry. We want a God who thinks and acts and requires what we do. We all do. Let's just be honest here. But God is sure to remind us of something really important. In Isaiah 55, 8, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I want to put forward something that I've thought about often. If Scripture is true and God is altogether holy and pure and just and omniscient, wouldn't I expect to not fully grasp all that He's done? And why? When I only have about 2% of the information of who He is? Shouldn't we expect God to be different than us? Wasn't that precisely why people were drawn to Jesus? Because nobody else was like him. He was different. Isn't that why people were so offended and unnerved or attracted to the Jesus followers? Because they were different? In a world where we have become our God... When we allow God to be God and we submit to Him, that is very unique. When we do that, we are counter to the culture. We are the rebels and the rogues of society. Our oldest son um, was catching some flack from some of his football teammates who said, Dude, you are the quarterback on a college football team. Do you realize what opportunities you have for women? Okay? And so he was consistently kind of being reminded of this. And he said, yeah, I do 
know the opportunity, and I am not going to do that. There was something very different about how he was going to live, and it was counter to the culture. That was just one thing. And it was even difficult for some to even understand why he would live differently and even be made fun of that for that. When we value others above ourselves and our own needs, when we choose our friends because Jesus has led us to be friends, um, not because they like all the things we like. <laughs> Very simply, when we realize the folly of being our own God, we find life. I love the movie Rudy. How many have seen that? Rudy, okay. I love that movie, not because it's a football movie. I love it because of what it, to me, communicates about friendship. There's a friendship there that's so deep. But there's this scene right here with the priest. And um, he's talking to Rudy, and he's like, you know what, kid? <clears throat> One thing I've learned over 40 years in the priesthood is that there is a God, and I'm not him. I am constantly reminded of that, to let God be God and to follow His lead, not for me to walk out in front of Him and direct Him where to go. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are children that have limited knowledge, and so part of this series is going to be us approaching God humbly. Can we ask God to give us soft, malleable hearts that are willing to let Him speak to us about who He is? Not who we make Him out to be or who we want Him to be, but for us to kind of put our gun down, put down our agenda, and ask Him for the heart to trust Him. All of us have been at a pool, and you see a parent that's in the water, and a child that's about ready to jump in, and the mom or dad is saying, come on, jump. And you could tell the child is just like, oh gosh, it's a big jump, the water, but it's mom and dad's voice. And I know I can trust them, I think, but I'm not, this is a big jump. And so you can see the angst, you know, and, and you can hear the voice, come on, I got you. Trust me. It's that same innate question going through their heads. Is this really a good idea? Does my dad really have my best in mind here? We're spiritual children in many ways, standing here looking at the world and all of its issues, and we're asking, can I really trust that you're good? So, as we wade into these deep waters... Um, my prayer for us is that we can approach God with a clear mind, let Him speak to us, 
allow him to press on our hearts and not hide and be callous. This, this series is going to challenge us to be humble, and we're really going to need God for this, okay? Let's be open to the fact that God might be different than us. Like, we don't have it all figured out, and He is the Creator. So let's pray. Lord, um, as we embark on this and wade into these deep waters, we ask for uh, grace. We ask for hearts that are soft. We ask that you would help us to acknowledge that we don't know everything, that we need your spirit to illuminate truth. We're thankful that we do have an authority that doesn't abuse us, doesn't arbitrarily cast us down, but we have an authority that is willing to die for us. You have communicated very clearly that you value us as much as your own son, each one of us in that in this room. And so, God, help us to approach you knowing that, that you are a God who is good. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.